Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Dragonheart. We are Bill Long and Mark Griffiths. We're going to be talking through uh, the Wheelstone game today and then we're going to move on to a little bit about the World Cup with Wales taking part in the World Cup. Uh, we've got a little bit to mention about uh, a situation going on at South End that we want to highlight and then we've got some fan questions. This is Dragonheart. I'm Aaron Hayden, and this is Dragon Hearts. Well, Wheelstone, Mark, nil-nil, uh, an away point should never be completely sniffed at, but it was slightly disappointing, this one, wasn't it? Ah, uh, it was the thriller in Reisler. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was way below the standards we've been setting in recent weeks. It sparked concerns about our away performances in comparison to our home performances. I, I, but I've got to be honest and say that I, I didn't feel that concerned by it. Please don't get me wrong. I We didn't play up to our level, like I said. It, it's disappointing to drop two points. Um, but I don't think it was indicative of anything worrying. I think it was more we've played midweek weekend midweek weekend midweek weekend yeah and then sunday wednesday saturday uh recovery time i think it caught up with us uh plus we did have quite a lot of injuries you know fours hosanna hayden you know we had a lot of players out um especially defensive positions as well as players like uh, mendy and i just think yeah they'd had 11 days rest we'd had what Thursday and Friday off, and I, I just looked a little bit tired and ragged. But and even so, like I said, I, I, with the ball, we were just not ourselves. But I mean, let's be honest, Wilson were never going to score in that game. We didn't look a lot like we were going to score, but we did have mm -hmm. moments where we could have nicked the one nil. Um, so yeah, I don't, I, I'm disappointed in the sense of that's a winnable game we didn't win, but I, I don't think in the big picture it's anything to be too concerned by personally no i mean it's it's a tough one I, I was there at the weekend um my memory might be slightly cloudy uh <laughs> shall we say <laughs> we were there I, I you know i will i will say anyone who, if anyone did see me there we 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 made wheelston an excuse to go to to meet a couple of friends who live down south so it was as much a reunion as it was uh, was the football, so you know attention wasn't completely on the on the game, so to speak. But um, I feel like I'm going to get pelters for saying this, but the conditions at Wilson were really weird. Mm. It was ridiculously bright in the first half, like the just the we were we were attacking the end that was really bright. <laughs> I know that sounds daft, and like you're making excuses. And professional football shouldn't fall into that, obviously, but it it did feel like that was an issue. And the it's hard to tell on screen, but the, the ground is at a slant. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's that's it's strange conditions for a lot of these players who've not that long ago been playing in League One and League Two to be playing on a pitch like that against a team that are going to be used to playing on it. Yeah, just just have a go at me in the comments because that's clearly just an excuse. But it, it's you take that. Plus the fact they had 11 days rest and we didn't. And it, it's just kind of a recipe for disaster in some ways. 
we look like we just needed a moment of magic, though, Mark, didn't we? Just some, someone just to have a bit of spark and, and do something, and, and then we click into gear, really. And we did have a couple of near moments, didn't we? There was the Palmer header, which was a nicely worked and was a, a really good chance. And to be fair, the keeper did very well to save it. There was Lee's shot, which was deflected, and the keeper did well to change direction and still save it. Yeah. Um, so there were a couple of moments. Again, like you say, I, I'm I'm not trying to pretend. Oh, this was all great. It was fine. But by the same token, I think it's a bit daft if you know one disappointing performance after five impressive, very impressive performances. Uh, and then before that as well, the game of Bourne and Wood, I thought, suggested to me that our weird away performances are probably being put behind us, perhaps, because that felt more like us playing our normal game. Uh, I, I, I think it'd be daft to say that one aberration means we've got a problem, because we clearly haven't. Um, but yeah. That low sun was interesting. I, I saw a nice picture from the away end illustrating it. And, and you know, the small stands as well. It's never nice playing into the sun. I'm not saying, like you said, it's not an excuse. The pitch was a little bit up and down as well as slanted, it looked like to me. I, yeah. I called it rutted in the commentary and I regretted it. And I realised it was the wrong word. It wasn't that bad. But it was a little, it looked a bit bobbly. And just all these little factors adding up to adding on with the tiredness and the fact that although Wilson have had a poor run until their previous game and they won away, um, they're no mugs. They're, they're half decent. And yeah, they they, they fought hard. We failed <laughs> to grab grab the initiative. And yeah, it, it sort of petered out. It was it was the drabbest game I think I've seen Wrexham play for a good couple of years. Yeah, it was it was like it was like a, a game pre-takeover, wasn't it? And it was it was it was there was something a, a bit annoying about it because what one of the friends that we'd taken is is a is a football fan but not a Wrexham fan. Yeah. And the other was was it was a, a huge Wrexham fan uh back in the day, but hasn't lived in Wrexham for a long time and doesn't doesn't he's a, he's a student, so he can't afford to 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 go to games. <laughs> So we get tickets for him. It's his first game in, in God knows how long, and we we can't even can't even put in a performance. It's not so much the you know if you come away from a game and it's it's nil nil, uh, it's fair enough. But it just wasn't even entertaining to watch, was it? And we've looked class all year, so it was a little bit disappointing. But you know, fans were in good voice. Uh, atmosphere was pretty good. It was it really was just one of those days. Um, I, I, and you know. I seen you, you you'd sort of mention the cat remember it was on Twitter on, on or on our sort of secret Illuminati Dragonheart uh group chat. <laughs> uh, probably shouldn't be talking about that, Mark. Um, confirmed. <laughs> yeah, confirmed. <laughs> um, but you said you know it was a it was a point, a point to point. And and at this stage of the season, having a performance like that and not losing it, it's not the end of the world, is it? Absolutely not. You know, I mean as well, there was a frustration losing top spot, but I've not mentioned that because of what you said. It's a draw. It's still a point. It's another clean sheet. Is it five clean sheets out of six now? Um, one goal conceded in open play in seven. Uh, you know, those are good signs. Unbeaten in ten. Uh, we we have the momentum. And I didn't mention the top losing the top spot because I just have the gut feeling that doesn't really matter. Who would you rather be right now? Not County or us, us, I would say. Not least mm. because all the big teams have yet to come to the race course. We've got a 100% record of Rome. 
you know, we're going to, we ought to knock points off those teams. Yeah, 100%. Um, I got to say about the, the Sun as well, something I really enjoyed about the game, it wasn't much. Mark Howard wearing a hat. Oh, that's old school, isn't it? Oh, when yeah, that's old last school. year goalie wear a hat? <laughs> that was wonderful. That was. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm, I'm all for goalies wearing hats, hats and, and tights during the winter. Tights. That's something that that's that seems to be something that's died a little <laughs> bit. Not just tights, Mark. Obviously, tights under the shorts or uh, or joggers. I don't. I don't recall this strange transvestite league that you remember. <laughs> wearing tights. <laughs> Tracksuit bottoms, yeah. Yeah, maybe that was a fever dream I've had, Mark. Who knows? Fair enough, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was, uh, for some, I don't know why, when I played in goal, I was a very much a tracksuit bottom guy. And I really don't know why. Um, and I remember one, well, oh God, yeah, it was the first game I played for Wrexham Schoolboys, playing Runcorn Schoolboys. And they turned up late because there'd been a sort of semi-riot in one of their schools. And they had to wait for the police to so release players to go and play in the match. And um, it was rock solid. It was the start of the season. The pitch was rock solid. We did a massive warm-up because we didn't know they'd been delayed. And by the end of the warm-up, my tracksuit bottoms were shorts. They were long shorts because I'd ripped both the knees from one side <laughs> to the other. And my knees were dripping with blood. It was a lovely, lovely experience. Um, Sounds fantastic. Oh, yeah, lovely. <laughs> I'd say as well, I, I, every time I see a, a sun, low sun like that, I think of, oh man, I played this trial game. Uh, I don't know, it's all about me, this, this Wilson game. Um, it was up in Mould and it was weird. The ground was like a sort of amphitheatre and it was a Wales schoolboys trial game and Di Davis and Dixon McNeil and Dixon was Rexon's manager then were, were watching it. And I'm thinking, man, imagine this, you know, I have a blinding game. Dixie comes up and says, hey, kid, because he was from Chicago. Hey, kid, you look good. You've got to join my Wrexham Dragons. That's not a Chicago accent. I just remember people from Chicago, Bobby Sporters now, and I listen to this and think I've had some sort of strange brain parasite. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I thought, oh, man, I'll look epic. Look at look at this. Di Davis will like lean across and say to Dixie, I know my goalkeepers and that kid's special. So anyway, <laughs> that was waddling around the goal. I was trying to look good. But the problem was there was a really low sun and it was in this like natural amphitheater surrounded by trees. And there was one gap in the trees that obviously been planted in order to give cover to the pitch. And there was one gap and it was sort of level with the goal line. And I remember <laughs> the other side attacking down the side of the, where the trees were. And this lad stuck across in and I'm 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 watching it, and it's too it's not a good cross, it's coming straight to me. And I'm watching it, and then I completely was blinded by the gap in the trees, couldn't see a thing, and I heard this clang right next to me. And I <clears throat> I basically just frozen because the the sort the ball got lost in the sun, and the clang was the ball hitting the outside of the post and going behind for a goal kick. And no matter how nonchalant I tried to look at it, you know. Yeah, I know where my posts are. I could tell. <laughs> I was going to post. I just left it. I rather suspect that was why nobody walked up to me afterwards and offered me a fifteen-year contract with Exxon Football. <laughs> I kind of suspect. You know. well, Howard in, had in nothing way, to do. Howard could have been completely blinded. He had nothing to do, did he? <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, did either goalkeeper have anything to do? I mean, I haven't got the stats to hand, but I'll just have a quick look. Like I said, the keeper uh, was, there made... even, was there even a shot on target? Yes, yeah, yeah. Like I said, their keeper made an excellent save from Palmer in the first half. 
close range header. Lee had a free kick. He hit into the wall. When it came back to him, he shifted to Jones on the right side. I like that. Lee's awareness, the picture in his head. As he's taking the free kick, he still knows where everyone is just in case. And he fed it very quickly. Jones stood it up to the far post. And Palmer was in the six-yard box, attacked it, powerful header. Keeper did really well to get across his goal, get close to him. And as I banged on in the final whistle podcast, um, he did the big jump, the Schmeichel handball goalie jump. But unlike some goalies letting poor goals in that situation because they're so obsessed with doing that jump, they don't really focus on the ball. He'd got close enough to the ball that he rightly realised, all right, I'll jump at it, but I'll jump at it with my hands up, not sideways, and I'll actually attack the ball. So Palmer, perfectly good header, really close-range chance, but the keeper got to him so quickly with his hands up that all the, all the header could do was hit his hand. It was really good goalkeeping. Yeah. And then second half was that chance, wasn't there? Lee broke into the box down the right channel and hit a shot, and it was going to the keeper's right, took a deflection, and was going to his left, and he adjusted really well. So, I mean, those are the only real saves that I remember, but they were difficult saves, and the keeper... So, you know, so we, we could have nicked it. We would have been nicking it. McAlinden had a good sort of situation as well, and then just has a weak shot straight at the keeper. So you almost wondered, was that a shot? Was that a cross? You were quite sure. It was neither, really. Um, but mm. he could have done a lot better, because he beat his man in the box and was about 15 yards out. Right hand side, but lots of people in the box to aim for. Um, yeah, so there were little moments, there. but nothing, yeah. you know. Palmer had a shot blocked in the first half, didn't he? When he, he cut inside well and he got to the corner, oh, no, second half, he got to like the corner of the six yard box, but a defender spread himself and blocked it. I mean, these are not classics. They're, you know, I show you they all got into the highlights because I wanted to pull it, <laughs> you know, at least give it some sort of length. Um, I, I was sort of wondering, should I just put the introduction? Where they go through the teams and then put the final whistle, you know, just leave it at yeah. that. I, I, it felt a bit like that there, you know. I, I even though my memory might be cloudy, it, it was it was one of those where there was no standout moments, you know, there was nothing real that are just that you could just sort of cling on to and say, Oh, you know, uh that was that was a good opportunity or whatever, really, other than the couple that you've mentioned and it, it, last year's game was a little bit like that, though. I know that the, the result was 2-1 and we got two two really late goals, but actually, other than those two moments, we were exactly the same last year there. We were, yeah. it, was an, it was an awful game for 80-odd minutes until until we finally made a breakthrough. So well, maybe it's just... was quarter of an hour left, wasn't it? And then they got a penalty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. out of the blue. It, it really felt like one of those games that was going to limp along. It's almost like the yeah. first time you ever played them. Which was this season before when we lost four three um and missed chances. You know, we were losing four one in added time and should have drawn. Uh no four two. Um Mendy's Mendy scored an absolute banger for him before yeah. he signed for Boreham Wood. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um and Adi Yusuf scored a couple, his first two goals for us. Um and got one of his few rare nights of good, uh, decent night's sleep while playing for Wrexham, <laughs> or indeed since. Um, and uh, yeah, so basically, th- that was so dramatic and exciting that maybe they felt that, you know, we needed two draft games to follow it up. Although, as yeah. you said, last season perked up, even if our equaliser shouldn't have counted. But uh, Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, for those who, who, 
might not remember or, or, or hadn't seen that game, Jordan Davis took a free kick, which hit the crossbar without touching anybody. Mm. And in an absolutely absurd circumstance, landed straight back to him for him to take a shot, at, at which he scored. But uh, the laws of the game are that you can't touch it twice before it's such another player. If that's, am, am I, is that, that's right, isn't it, Mark? Yeah? yeah, that's right. Once you've taken yeah. a free kick, it has to touch someone else before you touch it. So the ref should have disallowed it. Um, I, I, to be fair, you would say this when your team got the goal. It, it, you know, it was a dramatic sort of moment. He may have thought somebody got a flick onto it at some point. He he may have just forgotten. Um, well, yeah, it, it, happened, it happened that quick because I remember being at yeah. the game and you, you, we did none of us noticed in the stand. Obviously, we were too busy celebrating, but mm. uh, even afterwards, when people on the coach were saying, "Oh, yeah, that shouldn't have counted that goal," I just, it, there, there was nothing in your head that, that made you think, "Hold on, what what could have prevented that?" Then, obviously, you know, yeah, everyone's talking about the law and yeah, mm. just. We're struggling to talk about this game, aren't we, Mark? Clearly, because we're talking about last year's game instead of instead of this year's one. <laughs> and, you know, me as a kid playing a trial match. Yeah, it's, it's not good, is it? Um, I would say, for me, only the three centre-backs really play to their level. Yeah. You know, their, their usual level. You know, I thought the three centre-backs were really good. And O'Connor stepping in for Hayden did very well, I thought, and was quite progressive passing the ball out from the back. So the three centre-backs were, were terrific and a big part of why Harvard had nothing to do. But yeah. but in front of them, nobody really lived up to their usual level, I would say, you know? No, and, and that is and that is kind of promising as well because you, you're missing arguably your best centre-back um, and you're bringing in a midfielder to play, as, or, or, you know, traditionally a midfielder to play in a centre-back and... Uh, he's done a good job, so it shows that we have got squad depth, even if we were lacking a little bit up front on the day. Yeah, but weirdly, that that sort of thing can have an effect further forwards as well, can't it? You know, Tony Cliff has to shift to the other side. Um, James Jones has been in really good form lately. Uh, as ever, he put in a hell of a shift, but he wasn't really able to influence games as much. But I think part of that is because, you know, we are a pretty well-grooved team. Jones really combines well with Ford and Hayden on that right-hand side. Um, and you could see him making those usual runs that he makes. But he had two players, you know, Tunnicliffe, who's never played on the right for us. McAlinden, who's starting his first league game of the season. And that understanding wasn't there. And so Jones was making yeah. these overlapping runs. Uh, there was a classic example of that, actually, in the first half. I don't want to hang McAlinden out to dry because he worked very hard. But... Um, you know, Jones did that thing he does where he, he's inside Ford and he gives it to Ford and he looks like he's staying there and then suddenly he makes that looping run round outside of him like a border collie having a good run round the field to get his energy out. Um, and he runs around him and then he'll lose his man because he's done that. And then Ford will roll him in because Ford's a good passer of the ball, isn't he? He's a good, yeah. a, good, a good timer of passes as well. And he did that and he kept going. And then McElinden, when he released it, just put it straight out for a goal kick, you know. And you thought, you thought poor Jones, you know, doing this usual lung-busting shuttles. And he yeah. does it. And then yeah. man, he had no chance of keeping it in, Jones didn't, you know. And, and in fairness to McElinden, he's playing in a position he's not played before on the right-hand side. Yeah. You know, he's, he's a very, very left-footed player who I think, you know, in fairness to him, 
I mean, he was a striker when he was at um, yeah. Morecambe, wasn't he? Wide so striker he's... and a three more often. And we used him a best, if you remember, it feels like a long time ago, the start of last season. We used him a best as a central midfielder, didn't we? And at the we end, did, yeah, we did. Up, you know. Yeah. Well, I he, like Mike Linden. Um, he was coming from centre midfield when he did that tackle for uh, Mullins' goal against Stockport in the FA Trophy, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah. I think he's, I mean, as well, I should say, like you're quite right to point out, he's not familiar with that role. Um, and defensively, he had no problems at all. Uh, and that's important. You know, he's, he's filling in as a wing back and he was a solid yeah. defender as a wing back. So, yeah, I, like I said, I'm genuinely not trying to hang him out to dry. Oh, no, no, I, I didn't get that feeling. I just, I, yeah. you know, I, I've been impressed when he's played at right wing back, considering he's a left sided attacker. Yeah. So, it's, I mean, it's got to be said to be fair to him, isn't it? But that does, that does, you know, he's got that. It's a bit like when. I've said it a few times before, when Bryce plays on the left-hand side, they, they want to sort of stop and cut in, which is kind of fine when you're playing at the front of a front three, but when you're the only winger on one side, it, it kind of really limits. You've got no one overlapping on the other side or you've got no one sort of in that position. Of you. you're, you're cutting in and you're essentially becoming another body in the middle, which is already sort of congested anyway. And, and the thing is that McElhinden and, and Hosanna are different I would argue from Ford and uh, McFadgen in the way they approach being a wing back. Uh, they're quite straight line sort of wing backs, aren't they? They they yeah. get up and down, up and down in a straight line. Whereas Ford is is a more of a converted midfielder. He he'll get forwards, he'll beat people, but he's happy to go inside and let people go around. He's you know, and it, like like I said with Jones, interchanging with him, interchanging with Hayden when he goes forwards. Uh, <clears throat> McFadgen is very much a Sort of combination player, he wants to give little give and goes, play little triangles. Whereas McAllister and Hosanna are different; they're more they want to sprint, they want to get forwards quickly, um, yeah. and that that is not a problem because it's good to have variety. But maybe when your team is struggling to find its passing rhythm, then in those moments, like on Saturday, you you do want that familiarity. You want to be able to fall back on the things that you know work. Um, yeah, but, absolutely. But McLinden is not that type of wing back. And as I said, it's not a criticism of him. Often that's a, that's a positive to be have to give have different types of players to fulfil the same position. But I think on on Saturday, maybe some players missed having players who were doing their usual role. If you see what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. It just just caught up with us a bit, didn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is fine as, as long as we don't make a habit of it. And I think we've got to remember this time last year we were in. I can't remember the exact position we were in, but we were a lot lower than we are now. Mm. And we were struggling to pick up points at home. We had a very similar home form to what we've got away. We weren't necessarily losing at home, yeah, but we were drawing games that we should have won. Mm. We were all, we were scraping wins when we should have won comfortably. And you know, maybe maybe Phil Parkinson's one of those managers that has a better second half to the season than he does the start. And if we then go and correct the away form like we corrected the home form last year, we'll be laughing. And that's why I feel positive about us winning the league. Because last year, we nearly did it, despite really only clicking in January. Now, we've pretty much clicked already. I suspect that all we will do is improve. We can bring players in when we want to. And, you know, so I feel pretty good that we're going to put in two halves of a season like the last half of last season. And, you know, good luck anybody who can keep up with that. Notts County have yeah. started brilliantly, don't get me wrong, but they're going to they're gonna have to try and keep up with that. And they haven't got our budget. So 
that's going to be difficult for them. That's it why. Is. That's why I'd rather be in our position than that. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And I, and I think it, it is almost. I don't watch Notts County enough to to make too much of a comment, but I I think teams that go flying out the blocks in this league, they they very they very rarely keep it up. The champions tend to. It has happened, but the champions or eventual champions tend to pick up form around sort of December, January, don't they? That's when you really start to see those teams come forward, I think. And not not to say that neither team can pick it up. I just, I don't know. Yeah. I don't totally agree with that, but I see what you mean. I think it's, I think it's on a normal budget, it's hard to sustain a full impressive season. The Stockport didn't have a normal budget last year and we don't this. Yeah, true. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. For a second, I just <laughs> doubted what I just said. Yeah, I said what yeah, I meant yeah. to say. That's all right. Phew, that's a relief. We should probably leave this game behind. Shouldn't we? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So after our... this, <laughs> after this, we will be talking about South End. Hi guys, I'm Dominic Vose, and uh, this is Dragon Hot. So, um, Mark, there has been a recent call from South End United fans to. Uh, help with a GoFundMe. We're going to go over that in a little bit. Um, we, we kind of decided to pause our chat about the 2000s and the history, partly because this is quite a pressing matter for, for South End as a club, but also partly because we, we did want Che and Neil to be there for that conversation, didn't we? Well, absolutely. I mean, Neil, as we heard last week, was at the front line of, of the battle to save our club. Uh, the reason we started talking about it partly was because we were thinking it'd be great to hear his story and his perspective. So, yeah, we definitely decided that as Neil couldn't join us today, that we would, uh, you know, leave that to next week. But it is appropriate that we, we look at the Southampton, uh, Southampton, South End issue, uh, not least because uh, their former Players Association have been tweeting their gratitude to Wrexham fans, because Wrexham fans have been very generous in supporting uh, GoFundMe, which, the, which they've set up to try and help the club out. Um, which delights me because we were a club who had terrible problems. In some ways, fan activism sort of was given a boost by the number of people from other clubs supporting us and the way that we welcomed them. Uh, that's something we'll talk about. Well, Neil talked about really eloquently last week about the shirts, but also next week as well when we talk about how teams like Brighton supported us through our problems and lots of other clubs. Um, and it's brilliant to see that even though it's, you know, a decade on and we're in very happy times now, uh, our fans haven't forgotten that it's important to support other teams because football fans, we have a very important thing in common. As we said last week, we are football fans. It'd be horrific to lose your football club and we're willing to stand shoulder to shoulder to prevent that. Absolutely. I think, you know, I, I said it last week, but to sort of reiterate, I've got a hell of a lot more in common with your average uh, South End United fan or your ad- average Grimsby or Notts County or Scunthorpe or any of these other clubs that we've played against or come across over the last couple of years. And I do somebody who lives in, in any part of the country that, that then supports Liverpool, but isn't from Liverpool or supports Man United and Okay, that's fair enough. There's, there's nothing wrong with being an armchair fan. Football takes all sorts, but you know that that you can't replicate that fan uh, experience, can you, Mark? And and 
the idea of people in communities like ours losing that is absolutely sickening, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, I can. Tr- you'll talk about it next week, but I can trace back to a precise game where I genuinely felt this might be Wrexham's last ever match, and it was a real sickening feeling in the pit of the stomach. Uh, you don't wish that on anybody. So absolutely, um, standing strong with South End is a gratifying and the right thing to do. Like last season when Wrexham's fans after losing to Grimsby in the playoff and ending our season, immediately put money in to help Grimsby fans to get to the final. I mean, I like the idea of us being the good guys. I like the yeah. idea of our fans who, you know, who appreciated being a club run by fans will continue in that that manner. Uh, I think it's important that. It, it was one thing on the quiet mark that I did worry that we'd lose a little bit with this yeah. takeover. Not for not for any any particular reason, not because I think Wrexham fans are arrogant or anything like that. I just think there is always a risk that when you are going through richer times that you kind of forget where, where you've come from, so, so to speak. And I know we're not quite out the other end of non-league and all that stuff yet, but it would be easy for us to forget, wouldn't it? And just just sort of let other clubs get on with it. Yeah, 100%. Um, I was sort of worried a little bit as well because obviously there was some fan sentiments that was anti the supporters' trust by the end. Now, there were a variety of reasons for that. Some of them were just don't hold water um, because, you know, frustration that why don't we get taken over by somebody so we can have lots of money? Well, okay, it did happen that way, I admit. But it was a remarkable occurrence. Often when people invest money in a, a fifth division football club, it's in order to get more out of it themselves. And the trust mm-hmm. the trust saved the club and were the guardians of the club. Um, if it wasn't for such a remarkable offer, then they'd probably they'd still be running the club. Some people wouldn't like that, but I, as I said before, the, the, the alternative is taking a risk with whether you're going to actually have a team to support. So some people had objections about the trust that I, I just can't agree with, but other people did have reservations that I can understand that maybe in, in some ways the trust had done a wonderful job, but maybe it run its course and it was a good time for you know someone to come in and, and have a new purpose for the club. Um, so it's important that we held on to that. You said that at least at least hold on to that that ethos, that sense that we've learned a strong lesson here. Fans can lose what they hold most dear, and it's important, no matter who you support, that you you try to support either through publicising or through money uh, the efforts of other clubs to to save themselves. I mean, the South End problems been rumbling on, like us. That's why they're in the non-league, really. And there were ownership issues as they came down. They've continued to be so. There's a massive concern among South End fans and staff that the rights that you know that enough money is not coming into the club to make it viable. Uh, there was that remarkable thing, wasn't there, about a month or so ago, where they cut uh, South End cut their staff's pay. They basically were paying them only a percentage of their pay. And so their own staff took action. So, for example, the media team who were getting paid, uh, if they were getting paid, what was it? Something like 60% of their wage. So they only reported on 60% of the match. They'd write match reports up to the hour and then it'd be nothing as a protest because obviously they have mortgages to pay. 
they have families to feed. You, you know, they, when a football club has problems, there's a lot of victims. We've got to remember this, especially now of all times when lots of people need, need help. You know, people's jobs are on the line. Local suppliers are on the line. You know, if, if a club goes into administration, all those local businesses that have been cutting generous deals, giving mates rates to the local club because they want to give them a leg up, will get really hit hard and, and get little or nothing back. So it's important that, that clubs aren't allowed to die or aren't allowed to dwindle away. And Southend, sadly, is in a, a horrible position, but it's good to see that people are starting to rally around. Yeah, definitely. I think that the community impact really is um, underestimated. You know, you, you hear a lot about when, I don't know, a club like the size of, of Villa or Sunderland, when they've gotten relegated or Newcastle or all these other clubs that have been in and out of the championship that are pretty big. You hear a lot in the news about when they have to lay people off because they've gone down to the championship. Mm. But uh, you don't really hear a lot about the impact on a relegation to our level can, can, and I know there's a lot more going on with ownership and stuff as well, but you never hear about the, the, the impacts of the relegation to our level mm. because it goes beyond those few catering staff that might lose their job, who shouldn't anyway, by the way. It's, it's ludicrous that a club can get relegated from the Premier League to the Championship with the kind of money that they get in parachute payments and then let staff, you know, when, when, you, when you get into our, our sort of level, it is whole communities that get really severely impacted mm. and, uh, you know, any Wrexham fan, um, go go and find the, the the GoFundMe page that's out there for Southend. Try and give a bit of support if you can. I know times are hard, but I'm sure they'll be be a, a appreciative of any help, even if it's just a retweet or just a like or something on Twitter, just to get that that moving to people who can maybe afford it. Exactly, it's 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 the publicity as well, isn't it? It's the raising awareness and making sure that people know that this is a a historic club which is in danger, which is really uh, crucial. I, I'm not being rude in looking down at my phone while you're talking. I am listening to every word, but I just wanted to check, and I'm struggling to find it. What was the deal that Derby struck to come out of administrate, or rather their administrators did? Um, I was listening to the excellent Price of Football podcast on a regular basis, and uh, they were talking about the circumstances of them leaving it. Now, there were concerns because some people felt that the, the administrators, Quantumer, had, had maybe billed some fees which seems a bit unusual or excessive. I'm in no position to comment on that, to be fair. But remember, of course, that the point of administration is to basically your company can't go on anymore, so administrators come in and they try to find a way to, to keep it going. And that will tend to be by going to the debtors and striking a deal. So all football debtors, according to football legislation in Britain, have got to be paid in full. So if Derby had bought a player, they have to got to pay that transfer fee in full. But non-football debtors, it's just whatever deal the administrators can strike. And often that comes down to things like what sort of figure will HMRC accept? What kind of figure will the big debtors accept and the smaller ones have to just go along with it? So if they agree to a, you know, you know, if if Derby County's administrators or any administrators go to a, a debtor and say, right, we can only afford to give you five pence in the pound. You can either accept that and get five pence in the pound or we'll go bust 
and then you'll get zero. And if they accept five pence in a pound, I mean, obviously, like I said, that's hitting small local businesses, people who are mm-hmm. sponsoring the club, people who are providing services for the club, St. John's Ambulance, you know, all, all that sort, those sorts of, you know, sort of local bakeries supplying food to them, breweries, you know, all those companies, local companies get hit, don't they? And so it's not just the football, although it is worrying from the point of losing a football club. It's about keeping communities going. And as I said, now more than ever, we need to stand firm and try and uh, support people who need help. Yeah, our our football clubs are community assets, Mark, and they should all be listed to some degree as a community asset. And we need to stand strong and and, and stop these from uh, going going under. So please check out the, the South End uh, GoFundMe page. Find out more. You know, I'm I kind of feel like I should know a bit more about it, but I I do do think you know get out there, have a read, and, and find out. Especially international fans who maybe haven't come across. Uh, this kind of problem uh, before because it's the first time you've been following Wrexham and seeing a club go through this it'd be the you know it's really important that people sort of uh, uh, show as much support as they can uh, but from one corrupt system to another Mark uh, oh. shall shall we talk about the World Cup in Qatar I think we should okay after this we're gonna we're gonna talk about Qatar 2022 I'm Liam McClendon and this is Dragon Heart. So the World Cup's nearly here, Mark. Uh, we've got uh, it's. I don't think in, in a in a weird way. I don't think we could have been drawn in a more poetic group, could we? In the sense that we've suddenly developed a, a wide international fan base that mainly comes from America. If we're completely honest, uh, from the USA, I should say. I, I'm, I'm guilty of saying America when America actually includes all the Americas, but. Yep, the USA and, of course, the old enemy England. Um, we can get onto separate fixtures in, in, in a second. Um, but how do you fancy uh, Wales' chances, Mark? I don't know, if I'm honest. <laughs> um, oh, fantastic. And that's the end of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> there you go, folks. Remember where you heard it first. Remember, this does not, uh, this does not mean uh, insider dealing. I'm not giving you <laughs> key information here. Um, I think it's an extremely difficult group to predict mm. because, to my eyes, England are the outstanding favourites in it to go through and win it, although their form's been odd. Well, no, okay, it's not odd. It's, uh, their form's been poor. Um, so they're, you know, they're the sort of team who could come in, uh, you know, as one of the favourites and be the shock victims of something. Um, and then I think Wales, USA and Iran, I really don't think there's much to separate those three teams. I feel no. a little bit like Iran, people might underestimate them. And I think that would be a huge mistake because look at them in the last World Cup, they're, they're in a group of death. And they got a draw and 2 1 nil defeats. You know, they did yeah, really, and they, really well. They were really unlucky. Was it against Spain or Portugal? I can't yeah. remember which one, but one of those games they were incredibly unfortunate not to get something out of. They um, drew one with Portugal, didn't they? And didn't right, they that was it. Them. So it was the, the Spain game. They were really close to yeah. getting a draw as well, weren't they? Yeah. 
they yeah. they they could easily have got through the group of death when they were supposed to be the team everybody thrashes. Uh, was it Asner who missed a really good chance at the end of that game as well? Uh, because they were re- they were really piling it on at the end. They could have got through. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Mean, fair play to them. I, I, so you know, I think there's a tendency in Britain to think, oh yeah, yeah, well football is Europe and Brazil and Argentina and everyone else aren't <laughs> much good and we expect to beat them. Um, well, you know, maybe that was true in the fifties, although you know, USA fans might disagree as they did beat England. In the 58 World Cup, no, 50 World Cup, rather. Uh, yeah. So I think I think Iraq are a, a, a genuine threat. The States have sort of rebuilt themselves a bit. They've got a lot of good younger players in. Uh, they seem to me, from what I've seen of them and looking at their squads, be the sort of squad that has a lot of similar types of good attacking players. And maybe, and this has often been true, I think, for the States, isn't it? Um, no great sort of cutting edge, no great striker. You know, players like Josie Altidore in the past have been good strikers for them. Don't go McBride, good strikers, not top level though. And I still think that's a, an mm. issue for them. So for the for all the Pulisic's and Aronsons, and I really enjoy watching Aronson play, by the way. I think he's a nice he's a nice player. Um for all the players like that, do they have that penalty area presence that can punish teams? I think maybe not. But they've got some good players. I, I just think it's really, it's, it's a really interesting group because I, I find it hard to separate those those two teams and Wales out. If I'm perfectly honest, and they're all capable of taking something off England as well. Yeah, it's re- it's a really t- weird one because if I I could be misremembering, but I'm pretty sure Iran have won 14 of their last 15 games. Yeah, something like that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, they but, got rid of but... the manager because of that, didn't they? Well, this is the thing. So they've, they've gotten rid of their manager. There's obviously a little bit of unrest in it. I say a little bit. I don't understand a lot of what's going on in Iran, but there's a lot of civil unrest going yeah. on there at the moment. But that that occasionally can be disruptive, but it can also be a, a driving force for a team to go, do you know what? We're going to give the, the nation something to to cheer and be proud of. And that's that's um, that makes it even tougher to call, especially with losing the manager. I think if they hadn't lost the manager and the, the, the troubles were going on, it'd be a bit more like, oh, they might, the, this might, this might be a side that have got something to prove. But when you when you lose a manager that's guided you to to and had that kind of like political influence going on with them, it's difficult to call. USA that well, can I just say what, quickly about Iran as well? I mean, but the, the 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 beautiful thing for them is that you lose a manager who's getting loads and loads of good results, and you bring back your most legendary ever manager who only left a year and a half ago. So Carlos Queiroz goes back in, uh, having been the man who masterminded their performances on the last World Cup. So it almost feels like a bounce. <laughs> That's me. You lose but the guy who's created all that momentum and bring back the guy that you think is your greatest ever manager a year and a half after he finished being your manager. You're, you're I laughing. Didn't, I, <laughs> I didn't realise it was Carlos Queiroz. Yeah, yeah. yeah, okay, well... So it's almost feel-good factor, isn't it? Even though it's weird. It is a weird one, isn't it? And then USA, I've seen I've seen some of our international fans talk on, you know, on the various mediums, sort of asking us what our opinion, not necessarily us, but like Wales fans in general, what our opinions of the USA team is. I, I don't know enough a lot of, of of continental football where a lot of the the USA players play to sort of say have too much of an opinion. Um but they're, they're a side that are used to winning in their com- confederation. 
Mm. And I, I'm a big believer in football in general. It's the same when when you play in Europe, uh, when when it, British teams play in Europe. It's very easy to underestimate a team, estimate a team from a lesser nation, be it international or or a club side. But if they're a side that are used to winning their, in their league or in their confederation on a regular basis, they know how to perform and get results. And it doesn't matter if they're, they're not, not got many great individuals. They could, they're obviously a collective that can perform on a, a regular basis. So that makes them difficult. I, I, I would say, though. Go on, go on, go on. I was, I was just pointing out to our American listeners. Um, congratulations. Bill Long says you're a lesser nation. Just like, no, I I just meant following on you from your point of saying, you know, yeah. Europe plus Argentina and yeah. Brazil, you yeah. know, it's it's that sort of it's a perceived lesser nation, isn't it? Yeah. We, yeah, we would be perceived to be a lesser nation as well by a lot of teams. And look what we've done to, to Belgium in tournament in a tournament and look yeah. what we've done to other teams. So, I, you know, I think Wales fans in general are, are probably going to be the more lenient than a lot of other European nations in, in some ways in terms of their attitude towards that. But then, you know, you look at how we did in the last Euros. Yeah, we got turned over by Denmark, but they were buoyed by by wanting to get behind the team because of what happened to Christian Eriksen and are a very quality side. Um, we, we, we drew with Switzerland when we'd gone one down and we managed to beat Turkey, who at the end of the day, a lot of people were saying were the dark horses of that group yeah. who ended up coming bottom because we beat them. So, you know, we, we've got a good side. We're very solid at the back. We're starting to learn how to perform in tournaments. I think you're right. I think it's, it's, it's really tough to call. And it is, it's England plus one of us if England turn up, yeah, which, I think is not, which isn't always a guarantee, is it? Yeah. I think it's going to be interesting, England-Iran as a sort of um, tone setter, because Iran under Kirosh in the first spell were, were known primarily for their defensive solidity. And if England start getting frustrated against them, oh, it could all turn unpleasant for them in that match, couldn't it? Uh, yeah. Then likewise, with Wales playing the States, they, they, you know, there's interesting matchups in there. My, my concern for Wales would be you know, Gareth Bale having to say before the tournament, I've got 390 minutes in me, just illustrates the fact that there's a concern that he is not fit at all. I know mm. he did brilliantly coming on in the uh, MLS Cup final, but wasn't that his first game since September, I believe? And I don't think he's played 90 minutes since March. So this is a concern for Wales. Ramsey, famously, of course, is injury prone. <laughs> you know, th- you know, th- there's there's issues for us as well. I'm looking forward to seven matchups. I want to see um, Dan James against Serginio Dest. It'd be like, like just like a hundred meters final down one side the pitch. <laughs> It'll be great. Um, although there's another part, because Dest can play on either side and Wales can mix it up a bit. There's another bit of me thinking I like to see Gareth Bale fit and on Dest's wing for the simple reason that standing the ball up from the other side of the pitch and having Dest, who looks about well, he's about five foot six. And to handle Bale and Kiefer Moore in the air, to me, feels like a, a potential yeah. way to get into that game. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think for, for, for me, the, the ideal scenario is that we that we get enough from the USA and Iran game that we go into the England game not having to worry and it could just be a bit of a fun atmosphere, you know, just just enjoying the rivalry rather than than 
not enjoying it, shall we say. It would be even more ideal if we if we were to, I mean, oh, we're talking dream stuff now, Mark, but if we got six points, we qualified, we play England, they're desperate, they're desperate for three points, and we were to nick one, that would be perfect. <laughs> yeah. I thought you just said even... we should just like you know pick our reserves against them. We're already through. Let's roll. Well, yeah. England, yeah. Do they? <laughs> we'll do them a favour, shall we? Let them let them uh, qualify. Oh, so it's West <laughs> Germany against Austria all over again. Well, you know that genuinely though we could we could be looking at a, a scenario a little bit like not obviously because I know the circumstances were different with that, but they they could be. I'm I'm not implying that the, both sides would do this, but <laughs> if if Wales and England both needed the point, would it really surprise it? It happened with with Denmark and Sweden, didn't it? In uh, oh, was it 2002 or 2006? Yeah. Can't remember. Yeah, so. Who famously needed a both needed a draw to keep Italy out, and they had a two-two draw. Not suspect at all that Mark was it. You know, <laughs> you're a cynic, you are, Bill. <laughs> well, I applaud you for it. I just, I just think there's a lot of momentum behind Welsh independence in the moment, and what better would the British government want than a bit of British unity? Anyway, let's move <laughs> on from that before we start get I start getting too carried away. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, it's 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 going to be a good tournament from a footballing point of view, but I've got to be completely honest, Mark. I, I love international football. I'm not one of these that doesn't like it, but it's hard to gear yourself up for a tournament held in a country with such appalling human rights records, isn't it? Yeah, I, 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 I've never been so unexcited by a World Cup. And I think there's a lot of factors. And I suppose to address a couple of the other ones first... It is so odd to be having a World Cup this time of year. It feels really strange that you get the season going and then you stop it. Equally, Wrexham will continue. And quite frankly, Wrexham's my priority. And, yeah. you know, so all of those things add up. It, it is quite difficult to sort of rev yourself up. By this point, normally in a World Cup, I would have been spending quite a bit of time reading all the previews and different things and getting myself excited. I'm not. I'm now thinking, oh, this might be the first World Cup where I really don't try to get to see all the games because I, I, I'm in work and it's all not going to work out right. Um, but obviously that's nothing compared to the fact that there was terrific corruption behind the decision to hold a tournament in Qatar. And the human cost of building the stadiums is, I mean, I, I feel I'm... I'm uh, completely failing to do it justice by saying that human cost was unacceptable. It's way beyond that. Um, uh, the whole system of uh, work, of labour, uh, control, if you will, in Qatar concerns me. And although there's a sort of attempt to say, oh, look, we've relaxed that law now because everyone the rest of the world said it was wrong and we're, we've changed it. Yeah, all right. Is it going to be changed until the world's gone away? And then brought back in again. Uh, I, I, I have doubts about that. Uh, and then the discriminatory laws that fans will have to abide by. It's just unpleasant. I mean, the only positive thing is that this has been done as an exercise in sports laundering. It's been done as an exercise in presenting a, a positive face for Qatar to try and let people accept them into the international community and it's actually a massive own goal isn't it because all anybody can talk about is how bad the human rights record is how bad the system of being one step up from slave labor where 
immigrant workers have their passports confiscated, uh, you know, the, the uh, prejudicial policies against LGBTQ people, uh, all of that. It's just, they look awful. Plus the fact that it's an open secret, it's not even a secret, that there was an enormous amount of corruption. Everybody has admitted that, but nobody's done anything to reverse it in the actual process of them hosting it in the first place. So the one consolation for me is Qatar looks bad. And I quite like the interview that Gary Lineker gave in The Independent last weekend, where he said he really seriously thought about boycotting it. And then he thought, no, no, I'm not going there to applaud the World Cup. I'm going there to report on it. I will say what I see. And I, I will... I will I will be I'll be given an audience to any negative things that I am I see or am aware of. I'm not going there to be a cheerleader. And I thought, yeah, that's the right attitude. I'm quite glad in that way that it's there because it's an attempt to create a propaganda exercise, which is I think massively, massively backfired. Yeah, spot on. And I think it's backfired to the point where they're now, I don't know whether you've seen this online, Mark, but they're having to hire fans. Yes. To, to imitate fans from, from from certain countries. Now, oh, I've got to be careful how, how I sort of approach this, but it's quite obvious that some of these fans aren't from England. You only have to listen to their accents as much as anything to sort of say, hold on, I'm not saying people from other cultures can't be from England. That's not, I'm not anywhere near saying that, but... This is a group of people that have clearly been hired to imitate England fans, and it's quite obvious as well as what I'm I haven't se- saying. You know, I haven't seen that actually. What I've seen is that some fans are being paid, aren't they? Right. So there's that. So there's the, the fan leader, the fan leadership scheme where they've been paying people from England, Wales, and other countries. But there's also been videos where they've been accused on Twitter of hiring groups of people that aren't from England, aren't from Germany, aren't from Spain. Uh, to pose as fans from those countries, it's, and it's but the, the the pro, the problem is it's so absolutely obvious, so absolutely obvious that it's laughable, and I, it kind of makes you think like, why have you done that? It's like you're saying about own goals, like it's like you you're even highlighting the fact that nobody wants to come to this World Cup. You're better off having empty stadiums because you can blame it on transport links and stuff like that. Then don't just hire people and, and like make it obvious that it's not the actual fans from those countries there. You can't you can't trick culture, can you? You can't, you know, Wales fans have got a certain culture, England, English fans, German fans, American fans, we've all got our own cultures, we've got our own styles of supporting our teams. You hire people from different the songs that we sing in these nations, and it's just completely obvious. It's just, it's just that. I mean, bizarre. the whole thing's bizarre. The whole propaganda thing is is nothing new, I suppose. In World Cups, did I say the other week about Argentina building the walls in front of the slums to hide them from the journalists? And <laughs> no, but all oh, right, the, the, no. the famous stories in '78, the military hunter built walls in front of the slums on the way to the airport to hide them from journalists, and all that happened was the people in the slums came out at night, pulled the wall down because they could upgrade their slums. You know, they're all living in shanty towns. They've got a nice brand new wall to replace that one that's falling down. Didn't work at all. Brilliant. Um, Brilliant. So, you know, that, that sort of thing does tend to get exposed, doesn't it, really? Um, so it is good in that respect. Uh, but it still shouldn't be taking place there. But, uh, no, it's, not at all. It's a and it's a shame to feel that way when Wales are qualified for the first time in 64 years because it's such a moment for, of celebration. And, yeah, it's, it's tainted by that. And when you see all the empty stadiums, which I suspect we will see as a team, 
wears on, I think it'll be brought home quite powerfully. Yeah, and I, I think, look, I, I'm, I'm excited from a footballing point of view and really excited for us as a nation to finally be able to see Wales at a World Cup. For, for most of us, obviously, there's going to be some people who have witnessed that, but for those of us who haven't, it is really exciting. I think you can, I think it is fair to say you don't have to be one or another. You can still watch it on TV and enjoy it because they're getting the, the TV deals have already been paid for. They're getting the, the money regardless. It's not like you watching now will will or will not fund this. So enjoy it. Revel in the fact that Wales have finally gotten there. But yeah, you're right. It is 100 percent hated. And a, a cold World Cup. Or cold for us, anyway, is, is, you know, like just the idea of having to wear my hoodie, s- several layers, and not be at a barbecue, sinking a few uh, <laughs> pops, you know, is, is, kind of, is kind of bizarre. I can't, I, yeah. I like, it's, going back to what you said about Wrexham, Mark, it's just like, it's, this is like a scheduling thing in my head. And I'm sitting there thinking, right, when, when have I got to be free to go and watch, to watch Wales games? When have I, when have I got to be free yeah. to do some co- commentary or work on Wrexham or whatever? It's going to affect our Dragon Art schedule because there's going to be games on, isn't there? When oh, it's just it's a it, it's a headache. It's just the whole thing is the, yeah, a headache. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Oh. Anyway, Nick Mullin. No, Mullin. <laughs> That's spoiled uh, up for me. Yeah. <laughs> or Jordan Davis, obviously, as well. He could oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I think we, we will cover. The World Cup in in different ways. We got we got what possibly one or two plans, but we'll sort of reveal them as we go along as the World Cup's on and and see how that goes along. Uh, as with all good headaches, Mark, they come to an end eventually, and so is this episode of Dragonheart. Um, is this episode was a headache? No, no, just just. <laughs> oh, the, the spend Cup- time virtually with me, and that's the World The World Cup's a headache, and yeah. You know, like like hopefully it comes to an end with Wales champions sooner rather than later. Uh, <laughs> so please follow us on on all the usual channels. We've got um, a lot of different content coming out on YouTube. Uh, but follow us on Twitter, follow us on TikTok, Facebook. Um, get your questions into us. We we we're both available on on Twitter. Send us a, a DM. If you want to ask us something about the show or get us uh, a topic to talk about. And uh, thanks, Mark. It's been a cracker as usual. And we'll see you next time. Nice one.